Suppose someone sends you a one-bit message. What does it mean to receive half of it? It's a strange-sounding question. A one-bit message seems like an irreducible atom of information. One or zero, yes or no. For a longer message with many bits, you could imagine receiving the first half of them or the last half of them. But how could you receive half of a single bit? To find out, let's go back to our original story about communication between Alice and Bob. Alice has, has been asked a question, a yes-no question by Bob, and he's waiting for her answer. The two possible answers are equally likely, so the entropy of the message is one bit. That's how much information Bob lacks before Alice speaks. That's how much he will gain when he hears her answer. But Alice and Bob are standing in the middle of a noisy party. In that environment, it's hard to make yourself understood. So when Alice gives her answer, Bob is not entirely sure he hears it correctly. He thinks she said yes. She probably said yes, but he isn't quite certain. Perhaps Bob is 90% certain. That is, after Alice says whatever she says, based on what Bob heard, the probability of yes is 0.9, and the probability of no is 0.1. If Bob later learned that she said yes, he would not be very surprised. If he later learned that she said no, his surprise would be greater. Even after Alice speaks, her message still has some entropy for Bob, some uncertainty about her answer. Applying Shannon's formula, the entropy remaining is the average surprise. So Bob started out lacking one bit of information. He still lacks about half a bit. Therefore, he must have received about half a bit. At the very start of this course, we defined information as the ability to distinguish reliably between possible alternatives. Bob has certainly gained some ability to distinguish which answer is Alice's, but he cannot yet do it with perfect reliability. That's what it means to gain half a bit of information. Noise produces ambiguity. The message that we receive may not tell us everything about the message that was transmitted. Some information has been lost. The possibility of error has been introduced. And noise is ubiquitous. There is no medium for information transfer or information storage that is completely immune from error. The, the thermal motions of electrons produce tiny fluctuations in electrical signals. Paper tapes get torn or damaged. Distant thunderstorms or sunspots produce radio static. Even printed books have typos. So how do we take noise and error into account? How do we defend against them? That is, how do we communicate in the presence of noise and still avoid errors? These are some of the most important questions in the science of information, and they are the very questions that Claude Shannon explored in his path-breaking paper in 1948, in which he established the foundations of information theory. The answers he discovered are remarkable and surprising. Shannon introduced the concept of a communication channel, this refers to any means by which information can be conveyed, anything with an input and an output. For instance, a long electrical cable can act as a channel. An input signal is introduced at one end, and an output results at the other. A, a, a fiber optic line, or a radio link, or, or sound waves through the air could all be channels. 
My desk drawer could be a channel. I write a phone number on a piece of paper, stick it in the drawer, and then take it out six months later. So the concept of a channel is not only about carrying information from place to place, it can also represent the storage and retrieval of information over time. Your memory is a channel. If the output were always exactly the same as the input, then the idea of a channel would be a pretty trivial one. But that is not usually the situation. What the channel does is establish the relationship between input and output. For each possible input, the channel determines which outputs are possible and with what likelihood they may occur. Thus, the way to analyze a channel is to use probability. The input is an information source X whose probability uh, distribution over the messages is P of X. The set of possible outputs is Y. For some channels, the output is exactly determined by the input. But other channels act in a less predictable way, and several possible outputs might result from a given input. To describe the channel, we need to describe the rule by which the inputs lead to the outputs. And that rule is specified by conditional probabilities. P of Y given X, the probability that the output Y is produced given the input X. The big lesson here is that the communication process involves both an input and an output, which are related to each other, but are not necessarily the same. So we know the probabilities, P of X, of the various possible inputs. And the channel determines the conditional probabilities, P of Y given X. Now, the conditional probability, P of Y given X, is just the joint probability, P of X, Y, over P of X. And we can turn that around and say that the joint probability, P of X, Y, is P of X times P of Y given X. The probability of an input-output pair is just the probability of the input times the probability of the output given the input. The Shannon measure of information is the entropy, the average surprise. The input has an entropy H of X, which is the total amount of information in the transmitted message. The output has an entropy H of Y. The combination of input and output has a joint entropy H of XY, which we can calculate from that joint distribution, P of XY. And now, here is a useful fact about entropy. For any two variables with any joint probability, the joint entropy is no larger than the sum of the individual entropies. Now, this makes intuitive sense. The, the information is both, in both variables cannot be any larger than the information in one plus that in the other. And it might be, it might be less. If the input is a one-bit message and the channel is perfect, the output is always exactly the same as the input. So h of x is one bit. H of Y is one bit, but since knowing X automatically tells us Y, H of XY is also one bit, which is much less than the sum of H of X and H of Y, two bits. Can we ever have H of XY, the joint entropy, equal to H of X plus H of Y? Sure, provided the two variables are totally independent of each other. In that case, the probability of XY it's just the probability of x times the probability of y for every pair of xy values. So before any communication occurs in the channel, the receiver knows neither the input x nor the output y, uh, neither what is sent nor what is received. 
So the amount of information that the receiver lacks at the outset is h of x and y. During the communication process, the receiver learns the value of the output y. So he gains an amount of information h of y. But that still leaves something left over. The information that the receiver lacks about x, even though he knows all about y. Call that the conditional entropy, h of x given y. That's how much information the receiver does not learn about the transmitted message. It's a measure of failure to communicate. Now, information theorists sometimes call the conditional entropy the equivocation of the message. It tells us how much the receiver isn't sure about x, even when he knows y. Now, a more positive measure would be the amount of information that the receiver actually does gain, which is the difference between h of x and h of x given y. This very important quantity is called the mutual information. Okay, there's a lot to keep track of here, so let's, let's use a heuristic diagram to, to sum it up. The diagram shows two overlapping circles like a Venn diagram. The, the, the left circle represents h of x, the amount of information in the input. The right circle is h of y, the amount of information in the output. The whole area is h of x and y, the information in both input and output. h of x given y is the part of x that is not included in y, the information still missing about x even when y is known. We can see that this area is just h of xy, the whole thing, minus h of y, the right-hand circle. h of y given x is the, the same on the other side. The overlap of the two circles is the mutual information i of x and y. That's the y information that is also x information, the amount that the output of the channels tells us about the input. That's how much information the channel actually conveys to the receiver. These are rather abstract concepts. So, so it helps to have a simple example in mind. We suppose that the input x is a bit. Possible messages 0 and 1, each with equal likelihood 1 half. The output is also a bit. However, the output might not agree with the input. The, the bit might flip change to the opposite value along the way. We let the number e represent the probability that an error of this kind occurs. So here's a diagram. The probability that input 0 will yield output 0 is 1 minus e, while the probability that input 0 will yield output 1 is e, and so on. This is called the binary symmetric channel. Binary, because its inputs and outputs are just binary digits, Symmetric, because the probability of error is the same whether the input is 0 or 1. This is just like our example of, of Alice and Bob at the noisy party. X is what Alice says, yes or no, 1 or 0. Y is what Bob thinks he hears. Uh, that might be the same as what Alice says, but there is some probability, E, that he hears it wrong. The error probability is determined by the, the level of noise at the party. What about our entropies? h of x, the entropy of the input, is one bit. So is h of y, the entropy of the output. 
h of xy, the joint entropy of the input and output, is a little trickier to calculate. We first write down a, a table of the joint probabilities. And uh, applying Shannon's formula to these probabilities involves uh, some algebra, and we have to keep in mind the properties of the logarithm. We'll skip to the answer. The result for the joint entropy is that h of xy is 1 plus h of e bits, where that h stands for the binary entropy function of the probability e. The, the binary entropy function is easy to explain. The quantity h of p is just the entropy of a binary source with message probabilities p and 1 minus p. So, so let's sketch this function as p varies from 0 to 1. The binary entropy is greatest when p is 1 half. That is when the two messages from the binary source are equally likely. In that case, the entropy is 1 bit. The entropy goes to 0 if p is either 1 or 0. In one case, message 0 is certain, and in the other case, message 1 is certain. But in either case, there can be no surprise, so the average surprise is 0. The whole curve is symmetric. As far as the entropy is concerned, it does not matter whether 0 or 1 is a more likely message. Finally, note how the curve of the binary entropy function is very steep at either end. Even if p is equal to 0.9, we're 90% of the way over to 1, the value of h of p is still surprisingly high. 0.469 bits, almost one half. So now that we know that the joint entropy is one plus h of e bits, we can find out other parts of our, our Venn diagram. For instance, we know that h of x given y, the amount of information Bob still lacks about the transmitted message x after he receives y, is just h of e bits. The mutual information, the amount of information that is actually conveyed by the channel, is 1 minus h of e bits. To help us understand all this, let's think about a couple of extreme situations. First, suppose there's no noise at all, and e is equal to 0. Then h of e is equal to 0. Whatever Alice says, Bob hears. The mutual information, the amount that Alice actually conveys to Bob, is one full bit. But now suppose instead that the party is so noisy that Bob cannot tell at all what Alice is saying. He is just as likely to be wrong as right about her answer, an error probability of e equal to one-half. Then h of e has its maximum value, one bit. That makes the mutual information zero. No information is conveyed. When the output of the channel is completely independent of the input, the mutual information is zero and the channel conveys no information at all. That's what happens when Bob's error rate is one-half. With that much noise, Bob's guess about Alice's message will be no better after the communication than before. He's gained no information. So now consider a rather weird situation. Alice and Bob are not just standing near each other in a room, they're communicating through, through some machine. And the machine distorts the words that are said. In fact, whenever Alice says no, it comes out sounding like yes and vice versa. This is the case where e equals 1. And at first, this seems even worse than before. But the binary entropy function is 0, so the mutual information is 1 bit. How can that be? Shannon would explain this uh, in this way. We always assume that Alice and Bob have a common understanding of how their communication channel works, how it distorts the inputs. Um, uh, to, uh, so, so they know the value of E. They know what's happening. 
Um, so in the situation where we have a, 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 the, 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 the uh, distortion machine, Bob knows that whenever he hears yes, Alice must have said no, and vice versa. He can take that into account. In other words, this channel is just as good as a perfect one. Information is, after all, about the distinction between messages, not how those messages are represented. The distorting channel still preserves the distinction between the messages, because different inputs still lead to different outputs. No information has been lost. The code has simply changed. For all the in-between situations where E is not zero or one-half or one, we simply need to calculate H of E and apply the formulas we found. So if the error probability E is one-tenth, then H of E is 0.469 bits. The, the mutual information, the, the amount of information that, that gets through, is therefore 0.531 bits, just over half of a bit. That seems like a harsh assessment of the channel's performance. A 10% chance of error destroys not 10% of the information, but almost half of it? That's what our calculation shows. This seems counterintuitive at first, but it's actually quite reasonable once we carefully consider what an error really entails. So, I'm a teacher. Suppose I give an exam. The exam consists of 100 true-false questions. In other words, each is a one-bit question. The student who takes the test is effectively a communication channel. Information goes in during the term, and later on the exam, information comes out. But the student sometimes makes an error, so there is some noise in the channel. Mathematically, for each question, we can say that the input x is the original fact, and y is the answer on the exam. So, so consider a particular student, Charlie. Charlie typically gets about 90% of the questions correct. He misses 10 questions on the 100-question exam, putting down false instead of true, or vice versa. His error probability E is equal to 0.1. Is Charlie missing 10 bits of information or more than 10? Here is the straightforward way to answer that question. What sort of additional information, feedback information, would I have to give to Charlie so that he could correct all his mistakes? I have to tell Charlie where all his errors occur. I have to say something like, Charlie, you missed questions 7, 21, 29, 46, and so on. That's a good deal more than 10 bits of information. Just how many bits is it? We, we can estimate that. I essentially must convey to Charlie a list of 100 grading marks, which are either X's for wrong answers or check marks for right ones. Those grading marks, marks are like the, the output of a, a binary information source, the error source, with a, a probability one-tenth, that's E, for an X, and nine-tenths, one minus E, for a check mark. The binary information function H of E is equal to 0.469 bits, and that tells us the entropy per grading mark. Shannon's first fundamental theorem, the data compression theorem, tells, tells us that I could represent that grading information using about H of E bits per message in the long run. So I can correct Charlie's mistakes by providing him with about H of E additional bits of information per question, around 47 bits for the whole exam. So compare Charlie to another student, Diane. She also gets about 90% of the questions right. 
However, she works a little differently from Charlie. When she thinks she knows the answer, she invariably does answer correctly. But when she doesn't know the answer, she just leaves the question blank. On the exam, she leaves about 10 of the 100 questions blank. Diane is a very different channel. She has three different outputs, true, false, and blank. We could call them one, zero, and B. Her errors are always ones in which she responds with a B instead of zero or one. This is called a binary erasure channel, which has a slightly different diagram. So the two inputs are equally likely, so the table of the joint distribution is easy to figure out as well. The input entropy, h of x, and the joint entropy, h of y, are the same as before, but the entropy for the three-way output, h of x, y, is not the same. The equivocation, h of x given y, turns out to be just e bits. And the mutual information is 1 minus e bits per question. So Diane really is missing only one-tenth of the information on the test. She knows when she doesn't know the answer to a question, which means she actually knows a good deal more than Charlie, who thinks he knows the answer but is sometimes wrong. And that makes it easier to correct Diane's errors. I only need to give her 10 additional bits of information. Diane, on the questions you left blank, the answers are true, false, false, true, and so on. Now, human nature being what it is, I'm not sure I would have the nerve to give Diane a 90% of the exam and Charlie only a 53%, even though each missed 10 questions out of 100. There, there might be complaints. But from the standpoint of information theory, it would be perfectly fair. So let's sum up what we have found so far. A communication channel takes an input X and yields an output Y. The two might not always be the same. We describe the channel by some conditional probabilities, the probability of output given input. And if we put that together with the input probabilities, we find the joint distribution over inputs and outputs. And that lets us calculate entropies h of x, h of y, and h of x and y. From these, we have defined two important new quantities. The conditional entropy, h of x given y, which is h of x and y minus h of y, which is also called the equivocation. And it measures how much of the input information is not conveyed by the output y. We've also defined the mutual information, i of xy, which is h of x minus h of x given y, which measures how much input information is actually conveyed by the output y. These new quantities correspond to different areas in our Venn diagram. For the binary symmetric channel, h of x given y is h of e, the binary entropy function of the error probability e. And that means the mutual information, i, is 1 minus h of e. It matters very much what sort of errors we have. In the binary symmetric channel, like Charlie's true-false exam, the errors look no different from the correct bits. That means it takes more additional information to correct the errors. In the binary erasure channel, like Diane's exam, the errors are self-announcing, and it takes less additional information to correct them. Of course, the exam example is not the usual situation. When I provide the students with error-correcting information, we are assuming that those messages are perfectly conveyed. In, in a diagram, there are two separate channels. The original facts are conveyed to the exam by the student, who may be careless or have an imperfect memory, and so is a noisy channel. 
but the exam corrections are provided by a second channel, me, who makes no errors. It's a thought experiment. We can pretend. The second channel may be a reasonable idea for our classroom situation, but in most kinds of communication, we don't have a second perfect channel to use for error correction. When a spacecraft sends a weak radio signal from billions of miles away, there is no noiseless second channel to help us fix the parts of the signal that have been lost or distorted. In a situation like that, what do we do? What can we do about errors? Let's con consider another example. A general sends an order to an army in the field. Unfortunately, the channel through which the message is sent is very noisy, and a text character has a 50% chance of being lost and replaced by an asterisk. So, the general sends the message five times, using the same noisy channel each time, just to be sure. The five received messages look something like this. No single message can be read very clearly, but when we compare them, the original meaning emerges. Attack enemy at once. So it therefore appears that we can reduce the overall probability of error if we are willing to send our message redundantly. In effect, we send a longer message. Different parts of that message help us correct errors in other parts. No part is immune from error, but there's always a chance, uh, there's always a chance that we can make a mistake anyway, but, but we could at least improve the likelihood that we will get the message right. Yet that improvement comes at a cost. We use the channel many times to send a fairly simple message that uses a lot more resources and it slows down our communication. And to be even surer to avoid error, it seems that we must be even more redundant. And that means repeating the message more times. That might take quite a while. Does this mean that the only way to avoid error, to make the error probability negligibly small, would be to communicate extremely slowly? Is there an inescapable trade-off between the volume of information and the reliability of information? Claude Shannon thought very deeply about this problem, which he regarded as the key issue in information theory. And he solved it. His solution is profound and surprising. First, he asked, what is the greatest measure of information that a given communication channel can convey? That's called the capacity C of the channel, defined as the maximum of the mutual information I of XY over all choices of input message probabilities. Now we've calculated the mutual information for the binary symmetric channel and the binary erasure channel, and it turns out that those were, uh, were actually the maximum values for each channel. So we've already calculated their channel capacities. Here is what Shannon discovered what he proved mathematically. As long as you don't try to exceed the capacity of your channel, you do not have to communicate more slowly to get rid of errors. That is, suppose you decide on an information rate R, a number of bits to send per use of the channel, so that R is less than C, the channel capacity. Then, by coding many messages together, block coding, and by designing the right code and uh, the right decoding procedure, we can achieve two results simultaneously, sending an amount of information R each time we use the channel and making the overall probability of error go to zero as we use larger and larger blocks in our code. 
Shannon also showed that if we get greedy and try to send too many bits each time, more than the capacity C, then in the long run, the, the overall error probability goes to one. We're sure to make mistakes. This is called Shannon's second fundamental theorem, and it is a big deal. Most people agree that it marks the birth of modern information theory, and it is very good news. The second fundamental theorem tells us that we can defeat noise without paying too high a price. There is no inescapable trade-off between information volume and information reliability. The possibility of error does not force us to communicate extremely slowly. We can do error correction efficiently. The channel capacity tells us just how efficiently. For instance, consider the binary symmetric channel with error probability one-tenth. The capacity of that channel is 0.531 bits. So we choose a rate less than that. 0.5 bits is convenient. To send one bit, in other words, we will need to use the channel twice. It won't really work quite like that, of course. What we will really do is send 1,000 bits by using the channel 2,000 times. And that may involve a, a complicated coding and decoding procedure. But there is a way to do it that makes our overall probability of error the probability that there is even one error anywhere in the whole thousand-bit message negligibly small. Perhaps there, there is a, a profound lesson here, even, even a moral. The world is full of imperfections. When we calculate, we make mistakes. When we try to remember, we forget. When we communicate, we are all too often misunderstood. But these facts need not lead us to despair. The science of information, through Shannon's second fundamental theorem, tells us that errors can be conquered. We can build reliable systems out of unreliable parts. That's the deep significance of error correction. Unfortunately, Shannon's second fundamental theorem does not actually tell us how to do this. It's what mathematicians call an existence theorem. It merely establishes that there exist efficient and effective error correction techniques. The way Shannon proved this is very clever and a little indirect. Alas, his proof did not reveal what those efficient and effective techniques might be. But knowing that a thing is possible is a giant step forward. And in the years and decades since the second fundamental theorem, we have learned a great deal about practical error correction. That will be the next subject to which we will turn. We will learn that error-correcting codes are everywhere, from deep space communication to DVDs, essential but often unseen elements of our age of information. <laughs>